because I can't afford. <laughs> it's getting expensive, man, I'm telling you. <laughs> um, but listen, it's good to have everybody here today. Uh, I'm excited about where we're going with the life of David. And if you guys remember last week, we talked about fear and those things, and we discussed a little bit about Michael, his wife, and uh, we talked about Saul. Fear had overcome him. And today, we're actually going to look at a time in David's life that's actually pretty dark, guys. David's life gets dark here. And as a matter of fact, some of the students were reading during the worship some psalms that David wrote. And we're going to go over some of them a little bit later. During this time, David wrote a lot of music, a lot of poems, because his heart was full of burden in many ways. And so we're going to look at this today. Uh, the title of today's message is, when the faithful are faithless. When the faithful are faithless. And, and if any of you who are followers of Christ and you know God and those things, you understand times in your life where you're still part of the faithful, right? And God still has you, but you're struggling with your faith. And one of the reasons why I love the life of David is because when I look at David, obviously, you know, he's a man after God's own heart. All those things are true. But one of the things I love about David is he's so human. And as strong as he was and as brave as he was, he was so frail. He was open. And while he was a warrior, he was also an artist. And we know how artists are all melancholy, right? We understand all that, right? And so when you look at David as this warrior, he kills a giant... Then he's writing this music, and he's hurting. And so we're going to go through this. I'm going to read to you a passage in 1 Samuel, and I'm going to talk a little bit about what's going on, okay? So David, he ran away. Basically, he's running from Saul. So at this point now in your life, you have to understand, David is now a fugitive. David, in this point in his life, is trying to run away from the king who threw three spears at him at point-blank range and missed all three times, tried to get him killed by baiting him into a war with the Philistines, he tried to get his daughter to betray David. He's tried everything he can. And now his son Jonathan loves him. His daughter Michael loves him. And Saul is really frustrated. His anger has increased. So he's running. So David came to Nob to him elect the high priest. Or not the high priest, just a priest. And the priest came out to meet David. And the priest was a little afraid. And he says, why are you alone, David? And why is nobody with you? And David says, oh, the king has given me a secret mission. And I haven't said anything to anybody about it, but he said, go here and meet some young men and take care of the thing which I've given you to do. So I've made an appointment with these young men, and they're going to come to this place, priest. So he's kind of lying to the priest, right? And now then, what do you have on hand? David's talking to the priest. Give me five loaves of bread or whatever is here. You know, David's probably pretty hungry. And the priest says to David, I have no regular bread here on hand. All I have is the bread that we consecrate and we put before the Lord each day. All I have is the holy bread. And David says, well, I'm clean. I'm pure. Haven't soiled myself. This is the, I'm on this special journey from the king and all the men who are going to meet me are clean, so just give me the holy bread. So the priest gave him the holy bread because there was no other bread except for that, right? Now, what's interesting here is David, 
is running from Saul. He's God's chosen, right? He's God's anointed. He's running from Saul. And what is interesting is he does run to the priest, which is kind of a good sign, running to the presence of God. But also he lies to the priest. So we have this interesting dynamic taking place. And look what it says in verse 7. Now David saw a certain man who was of the servants of Saul there. His name was Doeg, the Edomite, one of Saul's chief herdsmen. And David sees Doeg and he's saying, "Uh uh-oh, I've got a problem here. Because Doeg is faithful to Saul. He's going to run back and tell Saul that I'm here. So David says to the priest, do you have a spear or do you have a sword or anything, priest? Come on, give me the priestly sword. You know, give me the pastoral spear. I need something to kill somebody with. And this is what the priest says. I don't have any weapons, but the sword of Goliath, whom you struck down in the valley of Elah, behold, it's wrapped up in a cloth behind the ephod. If you will take that, take it, for there is none other but that one. The only sword I have is the one that you got in that great victory that God gave you. And David says, you're right, that's the best sword there is. Give it to me. And then David arose and fled that day from Saul and went to Achish, king of Gath. And the servants of Achish, by the way, Gath is a city of the Philistines. So Achish is kind of like the mayor of this city. He's a Philistine. So in this time of fear, David lies and everything, and he gets the sword of Goliath, which should remind him, right, about the victory he just had over the Philistines. And he runs away from the city where the priest is, and he's going to run away because he's afraid that Doeg, the Edomite, is going to tell Saul where he is. So he runs away, and he goes to Achish, the king of Gath. And the servants of Achish said to him, Is this not David? Isn't this the guy where they sang about and danced about how Saul has has killed his thousands, but David killed ten thousands? Isn't this the guy that beat our champion? And they grabbed him, right? And they took him before the king. And so David's not, oh my goodness, what's going on here? I've got got the sword of Goliath with me. These guys, oh, I'm in trouble. And so David heard these words, like, they know who I am. And he was very afraid of what the king of uh, Gath could do to him, what Achish could do to him. So he changed his behavior, the scripture says, and he pretended to be a madman. As a matter of fact, it's pretty pretty graphic. He says, um... He changed his behavior, pretended to be insane, and he made marks on the doors of the gate, so he's scratching them like this. And he let his slobber run down his beard, and he's acting like a crazy guy. And then the king says to his servants, Behold, you see this man is mad, right? Why have you brought him to me? Do I have a lack of madmen in my city? That you have to add another one to the pile? You brought this fellow to me, and he behaves like a madman? Get him out of my presence. I'm not going to let this guy come into my city. So I'm going to stop there. So he's begun the fugitive part of his life, right? It's one of the darkest times. He writes many of his psalms. But you have to think about what would be... David has to think to himself, I wouldn't be going through this if God had not called me to be king. All this is happening. Look, he could be home safe in the field with the sheep. But God has chosen him to be king, and now Saul hates him. He's married to the king's daughter, and he's got Jonathan, his friend, and he's running around. He's acting like a madman, lying to the priest, stealing the holy bread. I mean, what a mess, right? 
Do you think God knew that there would be rough days ahead for David when he called him? I mean, how do you think God looks at David during this time? I mean, knowing that he's a frail man to begin with. It's easy for us to read this and think, David, what's your problem? You got the sword of Goliath right there. Doesn't that remind you what God did for you just not too long ago? Where you went out there with some rocks and you defeated a whole army? Dude, come on. And three times Saul has been like four feet away and threw a spear and missed you. And, and, you're fun, and now you're lying to the priest. You're stealing the holy bread. You got the, and you're acting like a madman. Dude, what's your problem? So let's talk about his running from Saul. How he flees. Let's talk about the Philistines. He's there, this, this army that he had just defeated, right? So he runs to the priest, deceives them. He sees Doeg and he flees to the land of the Philistines. He acts like a crazy man in front of the king, you know, all the slobber and stuff. And all the while, he's got the sword of Goliath right with him. It should be a great reminder of how great God is in his life about how much God loves him, about how much God favors him, how much God has chosen him. But somehow this man after God's own heart, this man chosen to be king, this man who many of us would aspire to be like, is held captive by fear. So let me make sure that you understand. I'm going to read a couple verses. Since you get up. This is what's great about the life of David, because you have the historical account in 1 and 2 Samuel, right? But then you also have the devotional account of what's going on in David's heart. I'm going to read you just a few verses from these psalms. Psalm 56, it was written by David when he was in jail when the Philistines had seized him, right? Be gracious to me, O God, for man tramples on me all day long, an attacker oppresses me. My enemies trample on me all day long, for many attack me proudly. When I am afraid, I'll put my trust in you, in God, whose word I praise, in God I trust. I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? So you can see the contrast between his behavior and his heart. By the way, does that sound familiar to any of you? Uh, be, be honest with me. Does that sound familiar? You can see where his heart is, right? I'm going to trust my trust in you, and I'm downtrodden, and I hate the fact that all these people are trying to kill me, but I'm going to act like a madman. Can you all relate to that at all? And then there's another one in Psalm 34. I just love the fact that God gives us this devotional look into David's personal time with God during this dark time in his life. Isn't that amazing? Psalm 34. It was written by, written by David um, when his behavior changed right before the king, and the king drove him out. So this is right still in that Philistine time when he was captured. Acts like a madman, and he's free now. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and he answered me and delivered me from my fears. Now, this is interesting. He acted like a madman, lied to get the bread, but he says God still heard him. Now, so many of us are trapped in this concept that our relationship with God cannot be fruitful 
Our relationship with God cannot be vibrant. Our relationship with God, we can't really hear from God unless we're on a roll. I haven't cussed while driving in three months. I'm on a roll. I haven't been mad at my spouse for almost three days. I'm on a roll. I haven't stolen post-it notes and paper clips from my employer in almost a year. I'm on a roll. I can hear from God. I'm telling you right now, I'm having devotions every day. I'm spending an hour in prayer memorizing scripture. Boy, God is really hearing me now. In reality, God hears you just as much then as he does when you're lying to the priests or when you're acting like a madman and you let slobber go all over your beard. And here's what he says. He answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried. He's talking about himself. This poor man cried. The Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Isn't that an amazing devotional time that David had right there in the midst of acting like a madman? Then there's another one in Psalm 142. And by the way, there's many more, but I'm just going to go through a few. Right after this whole story with the, with the Philistines and with the priests and everything, he runs to a cave. And I'm going to explain that story in just a minute. But here's what he wrote. After he left the Philistines, they said, get this madman away from me. Get him out. David sees it as an answer to prayer. And he runs away to a cave. With my voice, I cry out to the Lord with my voice. I plead for mercy to the Lord. I pour out my complaint before him. I tell my trouble to him. When my spirit faints within me, you know my way. When I'm acting like a madman, you know my way. When I'm lying to the priest to steal the holy bread, you know my way. In the path where I walk, my enemies have hidden traps for me. I look to the right and see, and there is no one who takes notice. No refuge remains for me. No one cares for my soul. I cry to you, O Lord. And then I realize, he says, you are my refuge. You are my portion. In the land of the living, attend to my cry, for I am brought very low right now. I'm acting like a crazy man with slobber all over his beard. Deliver me from my persecutors. They are too strong for me. I'm afraid. Yeah, I killed a giant, but I'm scared. Bring me out of this prison that I might give thanks to your name. The righteous will surround me. For you deal bountifully with me. Now, here's what's interesting. He says the righteous will surround him. Look what happens in 1 Samuel chapter 22. He flees to the cave, and look what the scripture says. So David departed from there, and he escaped to the cave in Adullam. And his brothers and his father's house, they all heard it. They went down there to meet him. And everyone in the area who was in distress, <clears throat> everyone who was in debt... Everyone who was bitter and angry, everyone who was a fugitive, gathered with him there. And he became their leader. <laughs> and there were about 400 men. 
He describes them as the righteous that surround him. Isn't that interesting? And so in this dark time in his life, right, we've already explained all the stuff he does. He goes to the cave, and the scripture says all the people who feel just like him, they gather around this guy in the cave with his family. And he's, they all say, we're following you, David. Whatever you think we should do, we're going to do. So he goes from spittle draining on the beard crazy man to leader of all the bitter, angry people in the area. And David went from there to Mizpah of Moab, and he said to the king of that city, please let my father and my mother stay with you till I know, and here's how you know David's finally turning, what God will do for me. And he left them with the king of Moab, and they stayed with him all the time that David was in the stronghold, in the cave. And the prophet said to David, do not remain in the stronghold, depart, go into the land of Judah. So David left and went into the forest. Now here's where we are. He entrusts his family to the king, and as he entrusted, he says, take care of my mom, take care of my dad, until I know what God's going to do for me. So now all of a sudden, we see this transition from this guy who was acting like a madman, this guy who was lying to the priest, this guy who was running in fear, right? All of a sudden, he writes these psalms, and you can understand now, right, where his new courage comes from, can you not? It comes from these psalms that I just read. This is his time with God in the midst of the darkness. Whenever I'm mentoring somebody or I'm discipling them or encouraging them, even when they're in their lowest parts, I tell them, you got to start finding some time with God. I'm not going to tell you exactly what it needs to look like, but you've got to start pouring out your heart. You don't have to come clean. As a matter of fact, I prefer you go to your time with God filthy dirty. You feeling guilt because you betrayed someone? Get some time with God. Write it out. You're recovering from an addiction? Get some time with God. You're in the midst of your addiction? Get some time with God. You've stolen something? You lied? Get some time with God. You're disgusted by your own behavior? Get some time with God. And you can see, in the midst of David's darkness, right, this man of God whom we respect and we admire, acting like a crazy man and all the lies and all those things, all of a sudden, his heart turns, he says, Take care of my mom and dad till I find out what God's going to do. And it wasn't some like this. All through the time, the, the reason that David was a man after God's own heart, in the midst of his struggle, he would run to God and he would voice. Matter of fact, he says, I ran to God in distress and I cried out. No one cares for my soul. So let's talk a little bit more about his faithfulness as we kind of wind things down here. How do you think he felt about God? I mean, can you, can you catalog in your mind for me the range of emotions about his heavenly dad at this point? At first was, why can't I just be a shepherd? Why do I have to run from this guy Saul? Can't you just give him a heart attack? I mean, he eats a lot of trans fats, God. Come on, take care of it for me. I mean, I appreciate that the spears missed me and all, but come on. And then you see other times when he's with God, 
And he says, I'm going to put my faith and trust in God. So he's kind of like schizophrenic. Does that sound familiar? Do you see how real he is? Why would he feel this way? I mean, he was just a quiet shepherd who killed a couple bears and a couple lions watching after sheep. This guy, sent, or the, the prophet comes, he anoints him with oil, and he goes and he kills the giant. Now everybody knows him. And yeah, he can play some music, so now he's playing for this depressed, madman, psychopathic king who tries to kill him. And now he's got married to the king's daughter, for goodness sakes. And, and now he's running from her, and he's running from him, and he's running, and he's lying, and he's acting like a madman. I mean, why do you think he would have this schizophrenic feeling? Have you ever been to the point in your life, and be honest, God, why do I have to go through this? It's not fair. I'm just trying to serve you. Compare this to the Goliath story. The depths of where he is, right? This guy who, in front of this huge army of Philistines, he goes up and he says to the armies of Israel, you're going to let this guy, Goliath, come out every day and talk smack about our God, talk smack about our king, talk smack about our country? You're not going to kill him? You've got to be kidding me. Nobody? Big brother, you don't want to do it? Medium-sized brother, you don't want to do it? King, you don't... Tell you what, I'll do it. No, king, I don't want your armor. I haven't tested it yet. I don't know if it's good enough. I'll just go out there with five rocks and a sling. And he walks out there, right? We know the story. He kills the giant, chops his head off. They're running around. Saul has killed thousands, but David has killed ten thousands. David is the man. David can play the harp. David's good-looking. David's married to the king's daughter. I mean, can you imagine where he is now compared to the Goliath story not that long ago? How does it contrast? What did his daily prayer time look like during the Goliath days? I submit to you, they probably looked a lot like this. Because David was always keenly aware of his frailty. We'll see that later on in his life, too. Sometimes you'll be amazed at this powerful king and how frail he knew he was. He's called a man after God's own heart, right? At this point in his life, is he still a man after God's own heart? Is he still a man of faith? Why or why not? You see, this is the difference, and this is where it becomes personal for you. This is the difference between God's chosen and those who aren't. Because when you're chosen by God, when God has gripped you, when God has called you, when God has saved you, when God has redeemed you, when God has transformed you, even in the darkest points of your life, you have time with Heavenly Dad that people who don't know Him cannot have. And even in the midst of that horrible time, even in the midst where you're struggling and you're questioning all those things, your relationship with God does not change. Because I can promise you, if it were up to us, our relationship with God would be very tenuous, wouldn't it? I mean, you want to put your confidence in your ability to stay with God? Is that where you want to put it? In our own lives, we often go through periods marked by one bad decision after another. 
Maybe we lie. Maybe we change our behavior in front of people to get what we want. Much like David does here. Can we still in those times, guys, when you're struggling just like David was, can you still consider yourself connected to the Father? I'm asking you, can you? Do you? If you're a child of God, is there ever a time where you feel like, no, I'm not connected to the Father right now. But in reality, guys, you're, you are. Read a couple verses. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Daddy, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. His Spirit bears witness that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him, in order that we may also be glorified with him. 1 Timothy, or 2 Timothy uh, 1, verse 6 and 7, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you, through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Pastor Joe, how do you fan the flame in the midst of a hard time? Here's how. Just like David did. You don't have to be a great artist. You don't have to be a great songwriter like David. But you can sit down with God and, and speak or write it out and say, God, this is how I'm feeling right now. It sucks what I had to go through at school yesterday. I hate the fact that my friend betrayed me. I hate the fact of how my, my employer lays a trap for me and people are trying to catch it. I hate the fact that my spouse is struggling with me on this. And God, I'm discouraged. God, I'm in a dark place. Tell him. That's what David did. And in the midst of David crying out and complaining to God, God says, hey, David, I got you. I got you. And the scripture says that's exactly what happens with David. In the midst of crying out and complaining, no one cares for my soul, he says, but then I will rely upon God. And he says to the king of Moab, watch my mom and dad. I'm going to wait and see what God does for me. I'm through acting like a madman. I'm through lying to the priest. I'm going to see what God does for me. So you guys know as I've been going through this series on David, I've been relying a lot upon my journal of what I was going through in my life. When God is my dad, it's okay that I might struggle from time to time. Because my relationship with him is not based upon how I am doing or what I do, but on what he has done. Even in the midst of my fear and faithlessness, Heavenly Dad's sovereign grace still has gripped my heart. I remember writing this. I don't remember writing all of them, but I remember writing this one. I was crying. I was, I was going through a... This is the, fir this is the first time in my life we're in ministry as a full-time pastor that somebody stabbed me in the back when I wrote this. Somebody who I thought was my ally and friend turned on me and just blasted my character, you know, all those things that the seminary professor said I would run into. Remember that story I told you? Here they came. And I was hurt. Guys, I was discouraged. 
I was dismayed. I didn't know what to do. And I read this story of David, and I saw the transition in his heart. And I realized Heavenly Dad's sovereign grace still has gripped my heart. Why was David able to overcome that dark time? You can see why. In his prayer journal, in his devotional time with God, he says, you know what? I hate what I'm going through right now. I'm not handling it very well. I'm a lowly person. But God has gripped my heart. I want to encourage you guys to go back and look at those psalms on your own. Write them down real quick. This week, go back. Now that you understand the story where they were written, here's my challenge for you. You want me to give you a challenge? You want me to tell you how to start fanning the flame? Read these psalms this week. Write them down if you've got a pen. Psalm 56, Psalm 34, Psalm 142. Now you know when David wrote him, what he was acting like. I know in the psalms he sounds like a really godly man, but remember, he had spittle running down his beard when he wrote them. Let's pray. So, Dad, help us to enjoy our time with you, even in the midst of darkness, even in the midst of struggle. Because our relationship with you is not based upon what we do or how we feel, but it's based upon what you did, what you are doing, and what you're going to do.